welcome to another episode of Living an Ultra Life. This week, I am really excited to be joined by Jason Hollenbeck, who has done some wild and crazy things, and he's from the Hampton Roads area, and a lot of people will know him. And so I'm really excited. Here's Jason. Jason, you ready to go for a run? Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, I really wanted to concentrate because I know you've been on Danny Smith's podcast. That It was a really great listen. And he kind of delved into your ultra running career and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to go a different direction because I keep watching you doing these really amazing runs in some really amazing locations. So can, can we go that direction? Oh, absolutely. Cool. What have you done recently? Because I, I haven't really seen a lot, but I know you've been out doing some crazy stuff. So as luck would have it, I just came back from California where I did a, where I attempted twice a, a Whitney Mountaineers route ascent, wow. a, win, a winter ascent. So those not familiar, Mount Whitney's the highest point in the continental U.S. It's very difficult to get on because... Uh, it's so popular being that it's the highest point that there's usually a lottery. But in the off season, when it's extremely difficult to climb, that's when a lot of mountaineers take it on because there's no lottery system, but it's much, much more difficult to take on as an ascent. So the first part of that is a run. But after that, you're in some pretty deep snowpack, aren't you, this time of year? Yeah, so the the route that I chose, I actually did Lone Pine to the Whitney Summit or the Lone Pine parking lot, which is so the first like four miles are actually road, then the next two miles are trail, and then from there on out, it's all cramp on ice. So you're actually carrying three different sets of gear with you. Wow. To take on the route. So how big is your pack to carry that? Uh, I go really light. So that one was only 10 pounds. Okay. Wow. 10 pounds. And so how many hours were you out on the road trail and ice? I started off at around 630 in the morning. And both times I came back at around three. The The second attempt, I had gotten probably about 95% of the way up. So a little story. The, the first attempt that I went up, uh, it was in the middle of a snowstorm. So <laughs> literally... Yeah, two miles in, it starts to snow and the wind's picking up to like 50 miles an hour. And these are class three climbs, which means they're already like on a good day. They're dangerous. So it, it was already like the day had already been written off. Like we're not going to make we're not going to make the full ascent. The The final shoot is impossible in this weather. But, you know, it's just let's go out and have some fun, explore the mountains kind of mentality. So I get up. Uh, probably about two thirds of the way. I'm the only person progressing up and I'm trailblazing for people. So I'm like a winter trail in a winter storm is non-existent, right? So somebody has to blow the trail through so people know where to go. So that's kind of what I did on the first one. And I actually posted a little video on Instagram uh, from my turnaround point. I just finished climbing up this little mini chute, probably just south of Upper Boy Scout Lake. And I came back down Saturday and, it, you know, it was a fun trip and everything and my my trip out for work got extended so i go back online to the facebook groups there's facebook groups where people talk about trail conditions and things like that and it turns out two days later from my turnaround point a guy had fallen and uh, wasn't wearing a helmet oh. didn't have an ice axe or crampons and hit his head and 
he was down. He was out. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was kind of ominous and, and I was going back up the next Saturday. So it was kind of weird going back up the next Saturday and conditions were much better. And luckily, you know, I'm, I'm geared out properly. And then I'm on the final class three climb and it doesn't matter what you're doing. Class three climbs are always a little sketchy. And I just hear helicopters going, which usually means somebody else has gone down. But as, as luck would have it, actually, the weather was so bad that week that they were actually just picking up the guy from the previous Tuesday. Oh, wow. His, his body had been up on the mountain for that entire week. Um, and they were just then picking him up. It was the first good weather day they'd had. So it was that I, I think all of that had kind of played with me a bit mentally. And I just turned around and said, nope, <laughs> I'm going home. Yeah, no kidding. I, That's just one of those things that it's like, yeah. OK, <laughs> Die, I, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, That's I only crazy. have so much risk variance and trying to trying to solo climb at that level just wasn't having it. Right. So now for those that aren't familiar with classes of climbs, can you just kind of go through some of the classes of climbs and what they mean? Yeah, it largely depends on what kind of climbing you're doing, whether it's trad sport. Uh, they all have their own different classifications. But for alpine, ones and twos are kind of largely just steep you probably would benefit from crampons and at least a class and then class threes are it's almost sheer wall like it would normally be a a switchback back and forth you ever seen those like really tight mountain switchbacks it's that but you're going straight up and you're ice axing in and you have to be ready if you slip you will slide down the mountain and you have to be able to self-arrest with an ice axe to stop yourself from going down so no ropes on a class three, though? Most people will do ropes on a class three, but if you're running solo, you can sometimes get away with not using it. Okay. So, but typically, I like class three. I've usually seen people like, you know, at least have a couple pitons and, you know, clamp in on yep. the really sketchy parts. Yep. But you don't. You You just go solo and just go for it. If conditions feel good, yeah. Okay. <laughs> But that's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta really, everything kind of has to fall into place for that to be a good idea. Right. So how do you train to do these adventure runs? As luck would have it, I get to travel a lot. So I get to, I get to spend a lot of time out West and I frequently spend weekends in George Washington National Park around here. In Virginia Beach, it's hard. I did just spend uh, like half an hour doing repeats on Trashmore and then went to the rock climbing wall. So that's that's one way to do it, too. Right. But yeah, it's got to be really difficult. I know I'm getting ready to run a 200 in Colorado in September. And yep. it's, it's hard getting the vertical. Yeah, you, you either have to head out like a four hour drive from here to really get in some decent climbs or stairmasters or treadmills at max settings yep yep yeah i plan on spending my entire summer at the priest doing the priest and three ridges yep <laughs> yeah priest yeah. is a big one yeah so i that's kind of the the best one that i can think of that somewhat simulates colorado mountains so yeah but you're still only getting up to four thousand feet yeah exactly yeah you're not getting the altitude the yeah. good thing is i have found i don't really have an issue luckily with altitude up to 14,000 feet. I've never gone above 14,000, but for me, it's just, I get a little winded quicker 
and right. that's it. I don't have any of the huge headaches or nausea or anything like that, like some people have. That's awesome. So nutrition, hydration, what do you usually take with you on like a, a Whitney Summit? I have largely stuck into gels lately. Okay. I, I keep adventuring out into maybe I'll try chews or maybe I'll try real food. And I always just keep honing back to doing just gels because it just seems to work for me. And do you have like a particular brand that works well for you? Yeah, I've stuck with uh, Honey Stinger for probably the last two years now. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of swap back. I, I try to strategically use caffeine partially based on feel. Like if I need a, if I need a little get up and go, I might toss in a caffeine gel early on, but I try and save them towards later in the, later in the events or races or anything like that. Okay. And then what do you use for like hydration electrolyte? Uh, I'm a big noon fan. Yeah. People who know me, I, I, I drink a ton of noon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm big on their electrolyte mix. And then also, um, I, I've started using a long haul for liquid calories as well. Okay. Just to supplement a little bit. Living an Ultra Life is brought to you by Forge Glory Athletics. Forge Glory Athletics is a science-driven, client-proven, premier running company that instills strong, introspective pillars through disciplines of movement that award personal growth in multiple aspects of the athlete's life without injury. We must find the light within ourselves before others can follow. Christopher Cuero. You've done some other things already in 2022, right? Yeah, I had emptied a 24-hour race, which did not go as planned. We ran into a knee issue about, I think probably about 50K in. And I was sitting right on pace. I was feeling really good dragging a little bit as the heat came on and then just it was one of those things where it was a track run so like there's no no rocks or anything to mess me up or to trip on or anything like that and just one lap my knee right. just flares up and never came back down wow now is yep. that the same knee that you had issues with at grindstone no that was uh that was an ankle issue that yeah, an that, ankle that's run. from yeah that's from falling down a mountain <laughs> <laughs> nothing Which, nothing drastic right yeah well and the grindstone one was funny because it it happened on grindstone mountain which i've descended that mountain probably two dozen times and it's the easiest descent in the entire <laughs> in the entire race of both the wild oak trail and grindstone and i fall on it every time <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's like it's an easy jeep road descent like it and in the winters it's usually not too icy and it's it's like the it's literally in the wild oak trail races it's the part where you get to sit back relax open up your stride a little bit maybe recoup some and grindstone you know it's right after elliot's knob which is a tough tough ascent and descent and you can just sit back and relax and let your legs know at every time I fall. I think I get distracted because there's a really nice view out of the right hand side. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's that's me, squirrel. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm picking myself up off the ground. Yeah. Yep. So now one of your goals last time I talked to you was you were looking to make the twenty four hour mm -hmm. the USA twenty four hour team. Still pursuing that? Uh I I think I'm abandoning it. 
Okay. I, I genuinely do. Um, and I think part of it was, I, I feel like I've lost my way a little bit. When I first got into ultra running, one of the first things that really got me into it was if you ever seen Jam Jam's 2017 hard rock video when he's up yes. at hard yep. rock and it is just beautiful. And that was like the first thing that really got me into the mountains. And then ever since then, like I've loved going into the mountains and that's always been my thing. And I think I kind of like convinced myself at the beginning of COVID that like, you know, we can't travel. So like, why don't I do something that's flat and, and straight. Right. And track races were, were the creme de la creme of that while I'm stuck in Virginia beach and I can't escape. Right. Right. And I, I had kind of convinced myself of that 24 hour goal and I had chased it for probably uh, the past year and a half. And I, the real kicker was, I, I kind of realized this over the last couple of weeks is that, you know, I had that 24 hour race coming up and I just didn't feel super excited about it. Right. And then two, three weeks ago when I was going up to like, I got randomly asked to go to California for work. They're like, can you go in five days? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was like, Ooh, that means I'm near the Sierras. And it's non-lottery season for Whitney. And I got super excited about doing that mountain climb. Like that was, it's the most excited I've been about running in like the last year. That's awesome. And I know. And, and I was like, you know, I, I remember when I used early in there in the year, you know, I was in Hawaii and I didn't, I didn't do a single mountain cap because I was focusing so much on training the track and Oahu's like one of the, it's probably my favorite place to well, go mountain. That's I, you just shocked me because I was like, wait a second, you were in Hawaii and you didn't do Oahu? Yeah, yep, uh, yep. I I spent every day on the track. Wow. And, and and part of that is is I go three times a year, so right. like it, it's not it's not new new to me or it's not like a missed experience, but it's still kind of like you know I'll probably go again sometime late summer this year, and but this time. I'm going to go and actually enjoy the mountains. Yeah. Well, I think, and, you, I think you discovered something, Jason. Mm-hmm. I think you discovered your passion. Yeah, exactly. And it has nothing to do with running around in little circles. Yes, exactly. And don't get me wrong. Like, um, I know some guys who just, have, they love the, the, the minutia and the, 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 the way I kind of think about it is it, it's the track racing is such a, like, finite detail oriented sport like yeah. you, you are going down to like the millimeter of every single step of perfecting form and function and everything which some people absolutely love yep and the mountain running it's there's so many different variables you have to be able to you know you have to be able to 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 change with the weather you have to be able to navigate efficiently you have to be able to not just run on the flats, but then the, the sense and the ascents and the, the different trail conditions, technical, non-technical, you got to be able to go fast on the flats, everything. Yeah. Right? There, there's, you got to know what to do when you come upon a wild animal. Yep. Yeah. So. There's, there's a, there's so many different dimensions to the, to the mountain aspect that, like you said, that, that squirrel, Right. You're constantly going through checklists in your head. Like, what's the temperature look like? What's the what's the weather look like? How do my feet feel? How do my legs feel? Right. 
in a 24 hour race, if you get a really bad blister and that's your race, it's over. Yeah. Right? Like you, you have to have that squared away before step number one. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a, a mountain ultra, if it, if you hit a monsoon, you're going to get blisters. It doesn't yeah. matter what you do. It doesn't you matter. have to, yeah, you have to be able to deal with them on the fly or sometimes it's going to be super dry and you don't have to deal with them. So yeah, I that's, think that's the thing I miss the most about Wyoming is just getting lost in the mountains, but knowing mm -hmm. that when you're lost, you also have to be super aware of everything around you. Like you're, you know, you can't just get focused on the trail ahead of you. You also have to be looking at, you know, what is, what, what's the cloud patterns behind you? What are the cloud patterns in front of you, around you, all around you? And your, your eyes are constantly, you know, darting to and fro. And I actually miss that because, you know, here you can just sort of go running and you don't really, your, your mind isn't as engaged. Yep. So yeah, it's different. So what yeah. are, what are some of your favorite adventures? Cause I know you've done some other stuff too. What's, what's your, some of your favorite ones? Whitney, the one I just told you about, that's definitely up there. There was on Oahu, Hawaii, they have what's called the Ridge Ridgeline, which is uh, Hawaii's kind of split down the middle with this giant mountain range and just one knife's edge ridgeline going across the top of it. And it, it's awesome because like there's dozens of climbs going up the sides, but nobody goes along it because it's such a treacherous route. So, of course, the first thing I want to do is I want to go along the entire right. thing. Right. Yeah. So it, it's like it's 50 miles and it's it's something like 30,000 feet of elevation gain in 50 miles. And there's there's no water because you're on the top of a ridgeline the entire way. And that's that was just an insane adventure because you're I mean, you're sitting on amazing Hawaiian views for just the entire time. Like, you know, people would spend all day working to try and get to this one view that they can see for 20, 30 minutes at the top. And then they have to go all the way back down. You're just spending the entire day along that. That has to be amazing. Yep. And then uh, Rainier has been fun. Every time I go up to Washington, there's just so much, there's just so much mountain and so much exploration up in Rainier that it's, it's very unique. And that's, I mean, there's just so much square mileage where you can just disappear and see. I, I, ran, I went up there and ran a 50K by myself and I saw no one yep. for the entire 50K, which is like running 50, of. yeah, running 50K and not seeing anybody is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. That's, that's, that was Wyoming for me. I used to tell people I need to unpeople. And so I'm just going to go disappear yep. in the mountains. I'll be back, you know, sometime this evening. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do the same thing when I go up to George Washington national and then probably the, uh, I've discovered probably one of the most hidden gems I have ever found was down in Texas in El Paso they have the, the, the mountain range comes down right to the tip there and you can actually see it physically end in El Paso, uh, the Franklin mountains. And it's, it, it's kind of interesting because nobody, it's not developed at all. So it's a, it's bushwhacking, but because it's Texas, there's no actual bushes. Like it's just all rock scramble right. for miles. And it, because it's, you know, it's not very, nobody knows about it. You spend all the time up there by yourself too. So when you yeah. go out for these things, do you, how do you prepare trail wise? Do you scout the trails? Do you download GPS? How do you, how do you do that? 
So for navigation, I have, I run three GPS units. So two phones and a watch. So the watch will be, watch will have breadcrumb settings. So uh, I can't navigate out with the watch, but I can always get back with the watch, which is important. And then I carry two phones with me. Both of them are in airplane mode constantly and both of them have the gps coordinates downloaded offline i use all trails all the time but then there's there's a couple other apps out there too that people can use uh, for that kind of stuff and then i also have a gps transceiver uh, a spot device that if i'm doing anything really crazy the spot device will be on and i always have two contacts who know to look out for me to make sure i check in with them yeah and if i don't they can look up and make sure I'm still moving on my yep. spot device. Yeah, that was one of my key purchases in Wyoming. Yep. And yeah. It, one of those requirements for my wife. I must know where you are. So. Yep. Yeah. My my wife has a GPS tracking on me twenty four seven, so she can she can actually just pull up Google Maps and see where I'm at when I'm running. <laughs> That's awesome. That's an important little feature. Yep. Kudos to you for for doing that. Mentally. Because you're out there, you're doing this solo. How do you prepare mentally to tackle these adventures? Uh, it's usually, I hate to say it, it's, it's usually an arbitrary goal. Like, I mean, Mount Whitney was, uh, I woke up at 6.30 in the morning and I was like, you know what? It'd be really cool if I could get back and be able to work tomorrow. So I'd have to be back at San Diego tonight. So I'd have to hit the portal by this time to get back by three. So I think I had to hit, I had to hit the top of the mountain by noon, do it like a two, three hour descent. And then that would have gotten me back. It's just like arbitrarily deciding what, what time I wanted that goal. And then just making all the miniature steps between here and there. So I know a lot of people like they make the mistake of just thinking like, Oh, I have to be at this point, six hours from now. But it, you got to break it down into sub steps, right? So, like, I, I'll give the example of the 24 hour race. You know, I didn't think, oh, I need to average a 10:15 for 24 hours. I needed to average an 8:45 for the first five miles, and then an 8:47 for the next five miles, and then an 8:52 for the next five miles, and like, literally just thinking about it, small increment after small increment after small increment. And just working your way through that way, you're, instead of looking miles and miles ahead, you're just looking at that one little scope that's within reach. Right. So do you, you break down your Mount Whitney ascent the same way? Yeah. So I, I tried to get to the road ascent. Uh, I knew it was going to be about four miles on road. So I was like, well, about 15 minute mile. I want to get to the trailhead in less than an hour. So that's a four mile climb and in less than an hour. Right. Okay. And, that, and whether or not I, I hit that or not, like that was just, that was the goal. So like I had something to aim for. And then I tried to make it to the next waypoint, which is the lower boy scout camp, uh, which is probably another mile and a half, uh, all technical trail in like another hour and a half after that or something like that. One of the, one of the big things too, is to just try and take, if you can find other people's routes and how long it took them to do stuff and then just try and match or try and beat or try and that's probably one of the things I picked up when I was reading 
early on a whole bunch of other people's FKT reports when they were talking about, you know, Nolan's 14 and stuff like that is they would all reference, well, so-and-so did this section in this time. So I wanted to beat that by so many seconds. And that's just how they, they kept pushing those fast descents and those fast routes. So you're getting ready to, you're going to do the backyard ultra coming up here in a couple of weeks, right? Yep. So are you breaking that race down the same way? I this It's actually the second time I've done a backyard and I've talked to a bunch of people who have done them. And the, uh, sadly, this will be, this will probably come out after the backyard race comes out. So if anybody's looking for pacing strategies, <laughs> sorry, you're hearing this a little late. But the key I've heard from people is to aim for the 48 to 50 minute finish time, which breaks out to like, I think, 11, 10 minute mile. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So like Courtney and those guys, like that's that's how they break it out. And then how you break out your run walk to match that 11, 10. I've heard to actually kind of play that by ear based off of the course and based off of like just how you're feeling. Okay. Are you going to have just one? Is your wife going to come out and crew you or how are you going to do that? Yeah, my wife's going to come out. She's my my crew chief uh, in charge on the rare occasion that I do races that actually have crews. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she's uh she's got a game plan down. I mean, my basic strategy is to just come in, sit down, try and get in 300 calories if I can during the interlupal period and okay. then head back out. That'll be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've never done one. So I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but we'll we'll give it a go. It's such an interesting race concept because early on in the race, everybody's so intermingled that there's no like there is no front runners. Right. The the one race that uh I ran before, the guy who ended up running it, I don't ever remember seeing him on the course. Like he was just always intermingled in the pack. Okay. Of, like, regular average runners and then like 24 hours in he's the only guy left and i'm like you know he was never one of those guys who was finishing super early he just like finished in the group yeah my strategy i told somebody i'm just going to keep on lining up on the on the start line until you know my body says okay stop now idiot yeah yeah that that happened to me my uh my legs just cramped up like crazy and i just couldn't make it back to the start line in time yeah. So cool. So what other adventures do you have coming up here in the uh, near future, Jason? Uh, I have nothing solid planned for the rest of the year, but uh, me and the wife are thinking about taking a trip out to Colorado. So I might scout part of Nolan's 14. Okay. So people who aren't familiar with Nolan's kind of iconic in the ultra running world because it's it's 14 14ers tagged together in a row and it's it's a big challenge to try and finish it in under 60 hours and the, yeah. it's one of those things where there's only a couple dozen people who have done it it's not established trail right there's a lot of bushwhacking there's a lot of navigating and then obviously it's a lot of altitude and a lot of elevation change yeah, because every time you go up one, you have to come back down it to get to the next one. Not all yep. the way, but you can, you do descend a lot. Yep. Yeah, it's it's something like, uh, I, I think it's like 45,000 feet of gain over probably, I think it's 120 miles. Yep. I don't think I'm going to get it in this year because it, it most most race reports I talk about, it's either people who are locals or people who have scouted it previously. 
So I want to go out and just uh, scout a bunch of it, run sections of it, figure out. There's a couple like technical scramble portions where, and it's one of those things where when you're 40, 50 hours into something like that, having visually seen it before is probably going to be the only way you're going to get yourself through it. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, having the mental acuity at that point to properly navigate is extremely difficult. Yep. That'll be awesome. I, I would love to see you do the uh, No One Fourteen. That's that's kind of iconic. Yeah, it's um, it, it's definitely one of those routes where it's, yeah, that and the Coatwalk Ridge Line are like two things that just seem beyond like that, which should be possible, but I know is right. So it's it's right at the edge of what I really like to push in terms of the mountains. That's awesome. Wow. I love that you have this passion for getting out there and challenging yourself on big mountains. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's probably going to be uh, so, some, like you, some of the summer spent uh, at the priests and three ridges going back yeah. and forth. <laughs> I'll, probably, I'll probably see you out there sometime. Yep. Well, Jason, let's just say that you're talking to somebody who is just kind of getting into the ultra running scene. What would be the biggest thing that you would recommend to them? Definitely don't jump in your training or racing, right? There, there's absolutely no shame in the gradual progression. Uh, so what what I see a lot of people do, especially in training, is they make these massive leaps in mileage, right? Uh, so, you know, they're, they're doing 20 miles a week and then suddenly they jump to like 30 miles a week or they or what i what i honestly see a lot more of is people will you know they'll be consistently doing you know 15 mile or 20 mile long runs and then they'll just jump up to this massive long run on the weekend without you know properly tapering on each side and it causes training issues or injuries or things like that or people who try and go from 50k races straight to 100 milers there's a you see so many so many people have a much easier time with that just slow gradual push up in mileage and i know that there's a there's always a, the 10 percent rule with training mileage but i'm gonna be honest that really only applies to like sub 60 miles yeah once you get above that uh you, you really gotta tamper that down to like four or five percent i i think when i was doing my when i built up to 120 I think I was only building at like 4% a week or something like that. And even that, like, I felt like I was pushing it. I think I spent four months building up to 120. Well, I really appreciate your time, Jason. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Living an Ultralight. 